Double chair. It's a double chair. Who's there? Welcome, my friends, and everyone interested in this ancient text called the Bible, written hundreds, thousands of years ago, and yet it's supposed to mean something to us today. I'm your host, the dumb Christian Jonathan, and this is Hunter. And we are going to explore Genesis chapter 6, which tells the story of. Uh, the flood. Yeah. What's the question that uh, we tried to do this episode before? What's the question that we discovered we were really trying to answer? How can God, how did God decide that everybody else besides Noah and his immediate family uh, weren't worth saving? Oh, man. Yeah, and so we ended up not being able to record last time because we were just so blown away by this question that we were really trying to wrestle with. So uh, we are going to try and have to wrestle with this question, and the Bible's about to get very real. We might get a little excited, a little colorful, and so buckle up and welcome to The Dumb Christian. So... You were having a conversation with your friend, and they posed this question to you. If God is really good, how can he look at millions, maybe billions of people in Genesis chapter 6 and decide they aren't worth saving, only Noah's family's worth saving? Right? And that, I mean, to be fair, that's probably a question that we should wrestle with when we're exploring the Bible. I think scripture invites us, like, hey, test this stuff. Don't just take it on... You know, just because someone said so, but there's there there's stuff for us to explore in here, and so we come to Genesis chapter six. It's only it, we've only gone through five chapters in the Bible. Two of the chapters are dedicated to creation, and shit just like hits the fan instantly, and this perfect creation falls into chaos. Why don't you set the stage for us? Yeah, so uh, it's been like. 10 generations since Adam and Eve. So, I mean, back then they lived a lot longer, so we don't know an exact time frame. It could have been thousands of years, could have been a couple hundred. We don't know. But, I mean, even just 10 generations isn't a whole lot of time. And, like, the scripture says that, like, every single thought was wicked. Mm. Like, that it went from zero to 100 just so fast. So let's hang on that for a second, because I think that's so interesting. Like, we can look at our world, and we can see that, like, people who don't believe in God still do generally can do good things, right? Like, there are charities, and there are lots of things where not Mm -hmm. every thought is wicked. So, I mean, just to think about a world, I mean, if if this is true, if Scripture is true, and it says every thought is wicked... Can you even imagine what a world would be like where right. every thought is wicked? Okay, sorry. Okay, keep going. <clears throat> all right, so then we see uh, it talks about not only is every thought wicked, but also that humanity, like the the human DNA is getting corrupted because um, it says like the, the sons of God uh, saw that the daughters of man were like beautiful and they got married and had kids, right? Well, um, if we look into it, Moses uses the term uh, sons of God to describe like spirits, demons, something like that. So um, like spiritual beings. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so like 
they were having kids with people interbreeding and uh, corrupting the human DNA genome. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's like one verse that, like you said, sons of God found the daughters of men attractive and they started procreating somehow because they're spiritual beings. So (laughs) how does, you know, (laughs) how does that work? Uh, In a practical sense, that's, I, okay. But however it's working, humans have no longer restricting, kept themselves to just procreating with other humans. There's some sort of like crossbreeding between spiritual beings and human beings, which is um, producing creatures who aren't fully human. Right. Okay. So then God picks out uh, Noah and his family and decides that they're the only righteous people left on earth. Um, So the entire earth, 10 generations of people, they're the only family in the entire world that is worth saving. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm with you. So he tells Noah, like, hey, I'm going to kill everybody else. And, but I want you to build this huge boat and you're going to effectively continue your family and uh, humanity through this act. So I, I think there's two things about Noah that God finds attractive. First is he's the only righteous family. And then based on that verse about the sons of God and the daughters of man, there's probably one more quality about Noah and his family that's important to God. And what would that be? He'd probably be uh, from like a pure bloodline. Right. Meaning Noah, his kids and his daughters-in-law are probably the only righteous, fully human beings left on the earth. Mm-hmm. Why, why does that aspect of it matter that they're fully human? So uh, to talk about that, you kind of have to look at the overarching story of the Bible is that God wants to send his son, Jesus, uh, to provide salvation for everybody on earth. Spoiler alert. Right. Yeah. If you haven't read it yet, (laughs) sorry. If not, put a little pause thing in the video. Just go read the whole book. Right. Right. Then come back. Okay. Okay. (laughs) All right. But anyway, he says he's going to do that through humanity, through like as an actual person, flesh and blood. So if... If the human DNA is corrupted, he can't fulfill his promise. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think there's more there than we realize. But yeah, that's a pretty heavy reality that if if God doesn't intervene, the human genetic code will be so corrupt it's and it's spread throughout the whole earth Mm -hmm. that at some point there's just there's no going back right okay all right so that's why that's important god looks down says noah i'm gonna have you build this big ass boat called the ark the ark tell us about the ark um well it's a giant boat and it took noah a hundred years to build it which like, thinking about it from our perspective, that's, like, someone's entire life from, like, birth to death, even longer than that for mm-hmm. most people. And at the time, Noah was, like, 600 years old when he built this. I think he was 600 when it was finished. 
Okay, so 500 when he started. But still, yeah, right. that's kind of ridiculous, right? Okay. And I mean, like, during this time, like, he was made fun of, uh, like, people were calling him, like, I assume, all sorts of horrible things. I mean... Like what? Let's just, let's just invent a couple of... Old time... I mean, there's like Nimrod in the old in the old Bible, so I mean, like they called him Nimrod. I think Nimrod was probably a term of respect and honor back then because he was yeah. back. You know, um, how about uh, dumb boat builder? I don't know, man. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go with old man Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> So he's building a boat. Everyone around him can see. It's not like, I mean, you're building this giant boat. He doesn't have like an underground bunker where he can build it. It's big enough. People are going to see it. Mm -hmm. So they're coming around. They're making fun of him. They're probably, you know, undoing some of the work he did at night just to be, you know, teenage brats like they do. So looking at another similar story, like uh, Jonah, when God sent him to Nineveh to like warn everybody that he was going to wipe them all out, um, we can see that the people of Nineveh took that and repented, and God saved them. He didn't destroy the city. But then we look in this case that they, we don't hear of anybody like coming to know, like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for what I've done. Like, I really want right. to X, Y, Z. No, we don't see any of that. We just see that like everybody is just a horrible, terrible person. Right, and there's no desire. Like, hey, what are you doing? Is mm-hmm. I, I like the the picture of of Jonah and Nineveh because <clears throat> God didn't offer Nineveh the option to repent, but when they were faced with their own brokenness and they realized, oh, we really did screw up, they chose to repent, mm-hmm. and. Because they acted in such a way, God spared them, right? So God sends Jonah. God is going to destroy this city. But then he spared their lives because of their repentance. And I think that's a perfect example because God gave these people a 100 years right? where they could have repented. They could have done something, anything. I mean, it's a big boat. Surely right. they could have fit a few more people who repented on. Yeah. But yeah, like you said, everyone is just like... Utterly rejecting anything good that God might have for them. And back then, too, like, even just the practice of, like, worshiping the God of the Bible, um, it wasn't like a, I wouldn't say, organized religion at that point. Like, there were no there were no temples. There were no uh, mm-hmm. gatherings of people doing that. And it also wasn't being spread. Like, it was not a uh, globalizing religion. Nobody was going out and being like, oh, my gosh, this is my God. I need to tell you about him. Right. Knocking on people's doors. Right. Do you have a moment to talk about our Lord and Savior, Molech? Right. So even if God had left the world alone, like, okay, eventually maybe people will get saved. Like, they weren't going out and sharing. It would have just stayed within those family groups or even um, just between those people until they died out. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Wow. Yeah, they there was no system of evangelism in the traditional mm-hmm. sense. Okay, so why is that significant? Because God promises to give salvation to everybody. Um so mm. I, I mean eventually he had his plan set up to 
everybody will hear the word of God. But I mean, going down this certain path, it was impossible to do that through creation at this point. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. I dig it. I'm with you. So, I mean, looking forward through that eventually, right? God wants to uh, bring Israel out of the people that he puts up. So, I mean, eventually Noah's descendants turn into Abraham and then his descendants turn into what we see as the nation of like Israel, right? Um, Yeah. Through the Bible. And God says that he's going to send his son through his people, which are the Israelites. And so to get from that point, this had to happen because he had to protect his bloodline. So what I find really interesting is with whether it's the flood or 400 years of slavery in Egypt or captivity by Babylon or oppression by the Roman Empire, there's all these like phases and steps in history, at least in, in scripture that we can see and in, in history and archaeology are proving to be true that <clears throat> um, when we look at them, we're like, man, that's a terrible, horrible thing. How could God let this happen? But once we get to the other side of it and really to the end, which we'll get there shortly, we kind of see that God is actually using this good, th- this not good thing, this like chaotic, terrible catastrophe for an incredibly good purpose. Right. And something I want to be careful of is when we look at that kind of approach to what God is doing, I think it's easy for us to fall into the idea, the mindset that the ends justify the means. And this is a concept, an idea that we're each going to have to wrestle with. Is is that what God is doing? Or is is he better than that? Is there something better about him than just our idea of the ends justify the means um, because God has God's walking through these things that are that to us seem just terrible God awful so that we can get to Jesus mm-hmm. you have any thoughts on that I mean Jesus is the way for God to save everybody I mean because before the only people getting, I don't know, quote-unquote, saved were uh, his people who were taught about him. Like we said, they weren't going and sharing it. There were no new converts to this religion. So just the the kids who hear the stories at bedtime right. about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, okay. And so Jesus was his way to uh, offer salvation to everybody of the world, not just his people. Um, and so those people couldn't be saved it was there was no way for them to be saved without jesus and to get to jesus there really wasn't another way right yeah this is this is the way (laughs) (laughs) that it just that god uses this to accomplish something like really mind boggling if we're able to like take a step back and consider the steps, the process and everything he went through to bring about Jesus. Mm-hmm. So let's take a second to talk about Jesus. Cause what you're saying is Jesus doesn't show up on the scene. If the flood doesn't happen. Right. So is, is God just using the ends, the ends of, wiping out humanity to bring about Jesus or is Jesus? Oh shit, dude. 
Jesus is the Jesus was the plan from the beginning, from Genesis chapter three, right? That was the, this is what we're going to do, Jesus. And so everything that's happening along, happening along the way is God course correcting how we're screwing up creation. Right. So it's not like God is saying, all right, well, I have to wipe out the flood <laughs> now or wipe everyone out with a flood, but I have to course correct what the ways humans are jacking up the system to do what i've been planning all along right okay whoa big brain (laughs) mind blown that was incredible okay so tell us a little bit about why it's so important for jesus to show up on the scene the gospel well jesus came he lived he uh is fully god and fully man came down here to live on earth and uh he had three years of his ministry where he actively went around teaching and preaching and through that time, he performed miracles. He got a group of the guys around him, um, mm-hmm. went around, talked to anybody who would listen about God, about how Jesus is the new way. Um, and I mean, at this point, Jesus, what Jesus was preaching, went, went totally against what the core religious group of the people at the time thought. Mm-hmm. And Jesus also taught that like his salvation wasn't just for the Israelites or the Jews. Um, it was for everybody in creation. So they would be called Gentiles. Um, and he, at the time, uh, to atone for your sins, you had to kill a perfect animal, um, lamb, ox, dove, stuff like that. So they would bring it to the temple and they would sacrifice it. And that's how you atoned for your sins. But, uh, Jesus came and he was the perfect sacrifice. He lived a sinless life through his, what, like a, approximately 33 years of life or something like that. He was put to death on a cross and he paid for the sins of everybody, past, present, and future. That if anybody would accept him and his teachings, that they would be granted eternal life with God. Okay. So something you just said there, he dies for everyone and everyone's sins, past, present, future. So there's something about the original question, which was... How did God decide that those people weren't worth saving? (laughs) Okay, can you explain to us how Jesus actually forces us to change that question? The only way for those people to be saved was through this, the flood, was through them dying. Right, so that Jesus could show up on the scene to die... For those people to save them, to offer Mm -hmm. them. Wow. Man, when we walked through this the first time, I knew we we were onto something and the Lord was going to show us something cool. But even today, I'm just like, (laughs) wow, that is so incredible. The... Why didn't God think these people were worth saving? Well, he's doing everything he can to save them so that he can bring Jesus on the scene. So that when Jesus goes to the cross, shed his own blood, takes the consequence of sin and evil, right? Every mm-hmm. thought was evil. Every action was evil. And Jesus takes all that upon himself and says, I'm going to take care of the sin issue. The only thing that matters is, do you believe that I right. took care of that? Do you believe in me, Jesus? And we're not going to get into it, but there is some illusion to the idea that Jesus actually 
presents himself to everyone who had died before he shows up on the scene and kind of gives them the opportunity to choose to believe in him. So the only way to save the world was to flood the world. Huh? Any concluding thoughts? Hmm. That God does stuff that we can't understand. So it's good to walk through it like this and to wrestle with those hard questions. Yeah. But you know, what do we know? We're just a couple of dumb Christians. So (laughs) that we are. (laughs) And I have been your host, Jonathan, the dumb Christian. I've been Hunter. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. We love you guys. Catch you next time. Dude, that was... That was better. Oh, man. And my spirit, like, I felt like Holy Spirit just anoint us and be like, yes, you guys got (laughs) it. That's it. Guys, thank you so much for joining us on Dumb Christian as Hunter and I walk through this really uh, awkward issue of the flood. Is it good? Is it bad? Is the ends justify the means? Or is God actually trying to save the world? Share this with your friends, family, so you don't go it alone. Hit subscribe, like, and ring that bell, and Hunter will answer the door. We'll catch you guys in the next one. Love you guys. Oh, oh, oh.